Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Just David's word. As well as talking about unsettling things, it also talked about God's house being raised up. That's a very scriptural thing. The Bible talks about a city set on a hill that can be seen from near and from far away. And that's what we're called to be. We are called to be a city set on a hill. Jesus talked about it. He said, who lights a lamp and then hides it under a bushel? Okay, We're meant to be corporately and individually like a city set on a hill. Something that can be seen, something that people can't help but notice, and something that shines its light on the people who are both close to us and those who are further away. And I just have a feeling that that's what God's wanting to talk to us about later this morning. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at how we can spend time in God's presence. We looked firstly at the time when Solomon had finished building the temple in Jerusalem and the presence of God invaded it. And we looked at how even as God's glory fell, all the normal business of the temple just came to a stop. And how as God consumed the sacrifices in fire, the reaction of God's people was to fall to the ground in spontaneous worship. And then last week we looked at a couple of passages that remind us that in our freedom to come into God's presence, we mustn't lose sight of who he is. We mustn't lose sight of our true position in respect to God. He is Almighty God. He is the Everlasting One. He is unchangeable. He is the One who is all-powerful, all-knowing and all-present. And as well as being worthy of every bit of our praise and adoration and worship, we need to approach him with a certain sense of awe and with reverence. But there's more that we can learn from Israel and from the Old Testament about how we are to live our lives in the presence of God. Because that is what he really wants from us. He doesn't want a Sunday morning experience. He doesn't want a midweek opportunity. He wants us to live our lives in his presence. Now, I'm going to apologise in advance this morning. Okay, we're going to look at one of those passages of scripture that has so many Old Testament names in it that I know I'm going to mispronounce half of them as I go through. So just bear with me, okay? I'm going to read to you from Numbers chapter 2. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. I can get those two right, okay? Saying... The 
the people of Israel shall camp, each by his own standard, and with the banners of their fathers' houses, they shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. Those to camp on the east side towards the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah by their companies. The chief of the people of Judah being Nashon, the son of Aminadab. His company was listed as 74,600. Those to camp next to him shall be from the tribe of Issachar. The chief of the people of Issachar being Nethiel, the son of Zuar. His company is listed as being 54,400. Then the tribe of Zebulun. The chief of the people of Zebulun being Eliab, the son of Helon. His company listed as being 57,400. All those listed at the camp of Judah by their companies were 186,400. And they shall set out first on the march. On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben, by their companies, the chief of the people of Reuben being Eliezer, son of Shedur. His company as listed being 46,500. And those to camp next to him shall be from the tribe of Simeon, the chief of the people of Simeon being Shemuel, the son of someone beginning with Z. His company shall be listed as 59,300. Then the tribe of Gad, the chief of the people of Gad being Elisaph, the son of Ruel. His company as listed being 45,650. All those listed of the camp of Reuben by their companies were 151,450 and they shall set out second. Then the tent of the meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps as they camp. So shall they set out each in position standard by standard. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim by their companies, the chief of the people of Ephraim being Elishama, the son of Amihud, his company being listed as 40,500. And next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh, the chief of the people of Manasseh being Gamiel, the son of Pedazur, his company being listed as 32,200. Then the tribe of Benjamin, the chief of the people of Benjamin being Abidan, the son of Gideonai, his company being 35,400. All those listed of the camp of Ephraim by their companies were 108,100. They shall set out third on the march. On the north side shall be the standard of the camp of Dan by their companies. The chief of the people of Dan being Ahaziah, the son of Amishadai. 
His company is listed being 62,700, and those to camp next to him shall be of the tribe of Asher. The chief of the people of Asher being Pagiel, the son of Ochran. His company being listed as 41,500. Then the tribe of Nephtali. The chief of the people of Nephtali being Ahira, the son of Arian. Sorry, Enan. His company has listed 53,400. All those listed at the camp of Dan were 157,600. They shall set out last, standard by standard. These are the people of Israel as listed by their fathers' houses. All those listed in the camps by their companies were 603,550. But the Levites are not listed among the people of Israel as the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus did the people of Israel according to all that the Lord commanded. So they camped by their standards, and so they set out, each one in his clan, according to his father's house. Now I don't know about you, but when I read that passage, it seems to me that God is getting very involved in something that is an administrative function. It's, it's just sorting out who camps where. And yet here, God is being very prescriptive. Now, admittedly, they've got 603,000 pitches to allocate. Now, as well as that, they've got to find room for the livestock. And so that is quite a job, and it would probably tax the minds of quite a few people. But, to be fair, unlike trying to sort out something like New Day or North, they don't have to contend with late bookings. They know who's with them, because they've been travelling with them. No one is going to turn up suddenly at the event and say, where's my pitch? And so, you've also got to take into account, there are economies of scale. And so, in amongst 10,000 people, if everyone just budges over an inch or two, you can find space for one more tent. But there is a reason why God is getting so involved. And it's actually a very simple reason. He sees that the layout of the camp and the marching order when they move on as something more than just God than just more than good organization. It demonstrates something which he wants to permeate every aspect of their lives. Can you put the picture up on the uh, on the screen? In case you couldn't take it all in as it was being read, this is what it's looking like. We have the tent of the meeting, right in the middle, with the Levites camping around them. And then we have the twelve tribes split between the four faces of the tent of the meeting. 
When they march out, they march out in order. With Judah at the front, the tent of the meeting in the middle, and Dan at the back. Now, I don't know whether you notice what I do when I look at that. But there's something very important about the way they both lay out their camp and the way in which they move forward. And it's something very simple. God is at the very centre. At the very heart of their lives. Right in the centre of their focus. Because it says they were to camp facing the tent of the meeting. The Levites were camped immediately round the tabernacle. They're the priestly tribe. And their duties, among other things, were to guard it. That's described in more detail in Numbers 3. It says, bring the tribe of Levi near. Set them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. And they shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of the meeting, as they minister to the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, and keep guard over the people of Israel, as they minister at the tabernacle. But when you look at that diagram of the camp, God was in the very centre. He was in the very centre of their lives, right in that point of focus. There is another point that's of interest, and that is, if you draw what that camp should have looked like to scale, given the numbers in the tribes, what you find is it forms a cross. An almost equal-armed cross with a short head and a long body, facing to the east. Why was it so important that God had to be so specific? It's because that is how he always intended things should be. And this whole pattern presents for us a vital picture. Here are the people of God. They have the Ark of the Covenant in their midst. The very presence of the living God at the heart of everything they do, of everything they are, directing the operations and sending out its influence in grace and power through their lives. And I'll tell you what, a church that has the presence of God at the heart of its life today is a church that will advance purposely. Because it's one that will have life and will have influence. And it is this concept of a church advancing with the living power of God at its heart that is so needed today. It can't be doubted. It can't be doubted that from all the available evidence... But it's the presence of God among the people that gives it meaning, gives them direction, and gives purpose to their corporate life. And if there's anything that's calculated to encourage and hearten the church and its situation in our day and age, it's the recovery of the presence of God, of his word, and his spirit moving in power and authority in, their church, in our churches and in our gatherings. 
And that is the message of this chapter. Numbers chapter 2. It's when God is in the midst of the church that it can move forward like a mighty army. If you plant the word of God right at the heart of a church's life, it moves forward. And it moves forward with purpose. Life for Israel was always going to be related to the ark. It was always going to be submissive to its principles. And because of that, the ark was to be protected. It was to be held in their midst and reverence was shown to it. Now this theme carries on in the New Testament. In Matthew 19, verses 16 onwards, we read, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honour your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. And the young man said to him, well, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. <coughs> when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? What was this all about? Does this mean that the rich can't get into heaven? Because we see a rich young man come to Jesus, seemingly acutely aware that something was missing in his life. Even though he possess, professes to have kept all the commandments, he still feels a gap. There is that hole in his life. And he says, what is it that I still lack? And sadly, the answer isn't the one he wants to hear. Because the cost is just too great. It's a matter of his priorities. Jesus was testing him. He was testing out what were the true priorities in that man's life. Was it spiritual wealth? Or physical wealth? John Wesley had an interesting way of looking at this problem. He said... When I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. I like that. 
When I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. He was worried that having money would affect the way he looked at things, the way he dealt with people and come between him and God. Jesus had previously summed this up. He said in Matthew 6.19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. We read in Luke 10, of that time when a lawyer came to Jesus. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to them, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. As a church, we should be wanting the very presence of God to be in the middle, right in the heart of everything we do. When we meet together, if we don't have God in the centre of things when we meet together, it's just a meeting. On Sundays. In our midweek groups. In our prayer meetings. And even in our social activities. We ought to be inviting God to be amongst us. As Moses said... If your presence does not come with us, do not send us from this place. Because what? otherwise, why else are we different from any of the other peoples of this world? We need the very presence of God in the heart of everything we do. Do we invite God to meet with us? Do you do that? What about when we're separate during the week? Now you know, we're no less church mid-morning on a Monday than we are mid-morning on a Sunday. The only difference is, one is church gathered and the other is church scattered. But we are still an expression of the church when we're scattered. We are God's church in the world. We need God at the heart of our lives. That's when personal evangelism becomes natural. That's when helping others becomes a privilege. Is God in the centre of your life? Individually, when you spend time with God, when you come before him and pray, is he really in the centre 
Or do you just come before him with a long list of requests? You know, we need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives every day. The instruction in the Bible is one, the tense we don't really have in English, but it's for future continuous tense. The best translation you can come up with is we are told to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-off action, it is something that we have to continually seek. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the problems we have is we often use the wrong sort of picture. We use a static picture when we talk to people about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I've seen preachers pick up a glass and fill it with water and say, you know, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that leaves you with a question. Well, if I've been filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm full, why do I need any more? Do I leak? A better picture is particularly if you're familiar with sailing, we talk about the wind filling the sails of a boat. And it's a dynamic thing. It's not a static picture. It's not something which, once it's full, can't get any fuller. It's something which, from one moment to the next, can change. One moment, your life is full of the Spirit. And then as you turn and think about other things... Perhaps that power just starts to fade a little. And you need to be saying, God, in this action, in this activity that I'm about to get on with, just fill me again. We need the indwelling of his Holy Spirit every day. We need more of God's power in our lives. And the secret is a simple one. We need to put God at the heart of of everything we do. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 